I'll be reading from Mark 15, 33 through 16, 8 this morning. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him from Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. Hey, everybody. Happy Easter. Jesus is alive. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The grave is empty. Jesus has conquered death, sin, and the grave. He is risen. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, that's good news. That is great news. Well, happy 
Resurrection Sunday, everybody. It is good to see you. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here, and uh, we just want to welcome you. Welcome to Taproot Church. If this is your first time visiting us, welcome. There is a guest, a connect card on the back of every single chair. If this is your first time here, or if you've been here a few times and have not yet had a chance to do so, we would ask you to please take a few moments today to fill one out for us. When you leave later on today, please stop by the connect, by the, I just messed that up, by the welcome table in the foyer and drop it off there. And we have a small gift we would love to give you when you drop off your card. Just a small way for us to say to you, welcome to Taproot. We are so glad that you are here. Well, today is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, and let me start with a confession. Are you guys ready for this? I really like a good suspense and mystery kind of show or movie. Anybody else? A show that I totally got hooked on was Stranger Things. Where and what happened to Will Byers? I binge watched that show. It was crazy. Looking for clues, trying to find evidence, solving some big mystery. I love it. And I think that it all started when I was a little kid, well, kid-ish, when I was playing this game on the computer called, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> anybody? That's right. For anybody that wants to know, it's making a comeback. It's on Netflix. It's cartoon about the whole thing. But I loved looking for clues, trying to find the elusive Carmen San Diego or any of the henchmen. Or, or maybe if you're not a computer person, what about the board game Clue? Any board game people? That's right. Classic detective mystery game. The point is to look for clues and evidence to try to figure out who did it. You know, it was, uh, it was Professor Plum with the candlestick in the ballroom. It's always Professor Plum. Now, one thing that I haven't done that I really, really want to do, I'm still trying to convince my wife to say yes to do this together because I think it would be cool to do with a bunch of friends, is to do one of those escape rooms. You know, get locked in a room for an hour, and you've got to look for clues, solve these riddles to get out. Any escape room people? Any claustrophobic people? That's right. All right. Well, well, this morning, we're going to look for some clues that were left behind, and we are going to examine some of the evidence that we find in Scripture concerning the death and really the resurrection of Jesus. And my, my hope as we journey through the narrative in Mark, what I hope that we can do this morning is, is and the big idea for today is this. I want us to see and feel the reality of Jesus' death, and I want us to see and celebrate the reality of his resurrection. And really, ultimately, I want to answer this very important question for all of us. Which is this, what does this, what does Jesus' death and resurrection tell us and how does it affect us? It's a big 
questions. So let me get rolling here, and we'll, we'll go pretty quick through, through this. Thank you to Waverly for reading our text of Scripture this morning. You can keep your Bibles open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, and the beginning of chapter 16. And as we, as we get going to set the stage for what we will look in Scripture, we are at the place where Jesus died. It's a small hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha. The day is is dark as night. The crowd stands in stunned silence that would just took place. The veil of the temple, the Jews' most holy place, has been torn from top to bottom by the hand of God, indicating that the way to God has been opened because Jesus was crucified. The door to God's office has been kicked down because of Jesus. Now, let me let me say two things about the book of Mark that I think are very important. One of the intriguing things about the gospel of Mark is that he is banging this one note throughout the book over and over and over again. He is really saying this. The one thing he wants you to get is this. Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. Mark does not want you to miss this. The gospel of Mark is like this mosaic where the writer uses many different stories about Jesus to demonstrate and to prove, to show us that he is authentically the son of God. And one of the centerpieces in the whole mosaic of the gospel of Mark is in the chapter we just read, chapter 15, verse 39, where the centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion and an eyewitness to it declares this. Truly, this was the Son of God when Jesus died. So the crucifixion and as we will see, the resurrection are indicators. They, they show us that what the centurion declared is true. Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. So let's start and look at the, the finality and the reality of Jesus' death. You can look at this in chapter 15. We read about Jesus' death in verse 37. And in typical Mark brevity, when he just writes, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. No fanfare, no dynamic scene, simple and straightforward Jesus died. But I want you to try to put yourself in that scene for a moment. Can you imagine the the difficulty that this moment brought to the people who were watching? A mother, Mary, watched her son die. The sorrow, the pain, the emotional struggle probably more difficult than words can describe. Now, can you imagine what the disciples, the closest earthly friends to Jesus were thinking? And now from from all indications, John was the only one at the crucifixion scene. All the others were probably scattered all throughout Jerusalem. But can you imagine their fears? Wasn't this dude, Jesus, the promised savior? Wasn't he the guy who was supposed to make all things right? He wasn't supposed to die. From from Peter's sorrow and shame for denying him to the other's disillusionment to what all this meant must have been horrific. And yet Mark tells us in verse 37 simply that Jesus died. 
In the mosaic of Mark, as he is declaring Jesus to be the Son of God, this just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit that the promised Savior dies. It doesn't fit that the King of the universe breathes his last. The hero of the story is not supposed to be dead. That is a terrible movie. And Mark then spends some time defining for us and showing us the finality of Jesus' death for a reason. He wants us to see and to feel that Jesus died a real death, that this really happened. This is why he tells us that he was buried in a real tomb in verse 46. The Romans did not have any funeral plans for criminals. So that is why this man this, this person called Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. The Romans would have normally allowed the crucified bodies to decay on the crosses and for wild animals to eat them. But this would violate Jewish law who believed that even hung criminals deserved to be removed and buried before sunset. So, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a respected member of the ruling council in Israel and a secret disciple of Jesus, a man looking for the kingdom of God, asked, asked for the body of Jesus to prepare it for burial and to put it in his own personal tomb. He goes on the day of preparation prior to the Sabbath, which tells us the exact day of the week on which Jesus died. Since the Jewish Sabbath was celebrated on Saturday, Jesus' death must have been on Friday. Now, now, Mark goes through the description to ensure that we understand that Jesus was buried in a real tomb. His emphasis on the burial shroud, laying Jesus in a tomb cut out of rock and the large stone placed at the entrance are for the purpose of helping us see that Jesus was really dead. This was no hoax. That is why Mark also spends some time telling us about Pilate's shock, about Jesus' quick death in verses 44 and 45. A victim of crucifixion normally died a horrible, long, painful death. Some victims even stayed in agony for as long as a week. In the history of crucifixion, there is not one known survivor. This is why Pilate is shocked that this happened so fast. And so he calls for the centurion, same man as in verse 39, to provide eyewitness proof. Did this really happen? Is Jesus really dead? Because Mark wants you and I to feel this. He wants us to understand that Jesus, the hero, was really dead. Now as the Bible tells us, Jesus' death was a willing sacrifice for our sin. His death was what we would call a substitutionary death. He died in our place to demonstrate God's love for us. He died that we might be made right with God and be set free from the power and the penalty of sin. But at this point, there is a problem. Since Jesus' death was real, are we really and completely made right with God and eternally forgiven of our sins if he's dead? How, how can Jesus free us from the penalty of sin, which is death, if he was conquered by it? 
How, how could Jesus free us from the power of sin if he was overcome by the result of sin, which is death? This is why the resurrection is absolutely necessary. And that is why now Mark draws our attention to the victory and the reality of the resurrection. You see this in chapter 16. As we leave the burial scene, we are told at the end of chapter 15 that the same two Marys who were at the crucifixion saw where Jesus was laid. And I, you got to love these women. Chapter 16 begins by mentioning these faithful women once again who came to the tomb to finish what could not be done uh, on the day of preparation and on the Sabbath. As they came to the tomb, they saw the large stone rolled away, Jesus gone, and an angel told them that he had risen from the dead. And by using these references, Mark is showing us that the resurrection really happened. It is real. Notice that he mentions these women over and over again in this narrative. He, he mentions them in verse 15, 40, 47, and in 16, 1. And since Mark is, is, is putting the finishing touches on his case that Jesus is truly the Son of God, he shows us this to prove the facts of a story. At least two eyewitnesses were needed. So Mark makes sure that he lists two women and at times a third who were present throughout the entire scene from crucifixion to burial to resurrection to reveal that the litmus test of having eyewitnesses is met. Eyewitnesses are a big deal for any case. Another part of the evidence for the reality of, of the resurrection is the fact that Mark places these women in the exact locations where every bit of doubt could have crept in. You notice that Mark uses these women to tie the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection together because each scene is incredibly important and each scene really happened. And their presence at each location in this journey reveals to us this, that there is no mistake in these events. You can be sure of that. These events really did take place. It has been evidenced by two women who were at every crucial point along the journey. Now, another piece of evidence is found in the stone being rolled away. Notice the important part that the moving of the stone plays in the burial of Jesus. It is mentioned in chapter 15 and the verse 46 to make sure that we understand that Joseph rolled it against the opening of the tomb. It is mentioned in, in chapter 16, verse 3, when the women were concerned about who would roll the stone away. These, these gals were really concerned about how they were going to roll it away to finish what they needed to do. And finally, it is mentioned in chapter 16, verse 4, as being rolled back and that it was very large. So Mark uses these references, the women, the stone, to show us that the resurrection really happened. Now, there is, there is divine evidence as well. 
Meaning that not, not only is there earthly witnesses to reveal that this really happened, there are heavenly witnesses tell, telling us that Jesus is really alive, that he really raised from the dead. There is the first evidence, the first divine evidence is the angel in the tomb, verse 5. And Mark is almost nonchalant about this angel because he uses the Greek word for young man. Like it is something that you would see every day. But the reaction that the women had seems to be anything but a, like a nonchalant encounter. The angel tells them to not be alarmed, which literally means do not be scared to the point of distress. These women were, were shaking at what they saw. This was no hallucination. They were clear-headed and they were scared to death. Now, this angel's presence is divine evidence that God had done something miraculous and important. Many times in the Bible, God uses angels to reveal something he had done, he is doing, or that he was going to do. An angel met Abram, Daniel, and Zechariah to tell them something divine was about to happen. So this divine messenger is right in line with God's way of speaking about his work. So the angel is divine evidence. But the greatest evidence is found in the fact that there is no Savior in the tomb. When the women entered the tomb, the angel told them that he was no longer there because he had risen from the dead. And he even invites them to look around the location to determine and examine it for themselves. Another point to the eyewitness account. The one who was crucified, he is risen. So Mark is connecting the entire story the entire scene from crucifixion to burial to resurrection. Meaning that these ladies were actually standing in the tomb where the crucified Savior had risen from the dead. It is, it is divine evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, now, no words can express what this must have been like, since most of us have never been in a situation where someone we thought who was dead was brought back to life. We can't imagine the shock. So these women leave the tomb and we can completely understand the paradox of their emotions. They are afraid and they are incredibly joyful. I mean, even though the angel told them to go and tell the disciples and especially Peter, every indication is that they left in haste and were scared speechless. And with that, Mark ends his dialogue about the resurrection scene. And even though, again, it seems like this is just an abrupt ending, the fact remains. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus who is the Son of God. Jesus who is the God-man, the man of sorrows, the good shepherd, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the dragon slayer, the sinless savior, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the sinner's friend, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus who is the way, the truth, the life. He 
had really defeated death, sin, and the grave. It is really true, and it really happened. Jesus is the victor of death, the conqueror of Satan, and the deliverer of sin. He is risen. So there's the evidence. He really died. And he really rose again. But listen, why does that matter? That's a big question. Why does this matter? What do we do with this real death? What do we do with this real resurrection of Jesus? Well, let me give you just three things. First, we have to recognize that the resurrection declares Jesus to be the Son of God. The Apostle Paul makes this incredible declaration in Romans chapter 1. When speaking about Jesus, he says, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 1 verse 4. Now, this is exactly Mark's point, what he has been building towards. The resurrection is the last piece in Mark's mosaic, and it fits perfectly in declaring to us that Jesus is authentically the Son of God, the one who stopped the storms, the one who fed the needy, the one who healed the sick, is really the Son of God because he has been raised from the dead by the power of God. There is no other display that reveals or declares Jesus to be authentically the Son of God like his resurrection. Jesus Christ is God's Son and the resurrection is living proof that this is true. So that makes us ask this question. Do you believe that Jesus is authentically the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus really died in your place for your sins and that God raised him from the dead? Listen, if you this morning would not call yourself a Christian, this resurrection moment should cause you to pause and really consider what you believe about Jesus. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who died and was buried and rose again, then you are still unreconciled before God. And you are a target of his wrath. So today, trust him. Turn from sin and believe that he is the son of God because his resurrection declares it to be true. And let me say this, friend. There are many ways that lead to God. But there is only one way that leads to a happy encounter with him. And his name is Jesus. And as Christians, Jesus being the Son of God is the reason we worship and we celebrate and we submit our lives to him and obey him and follow him. He is to be revered and honored and loved because of what the resurrection says about him. He is declared by God to be the Son of God. 
So we first start applying the truth of the resurrection by declaring what God has declared. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the resurrection does something else for us. It is a beacon of hope for anyone who believes in Jesus. That we have been set free from the power and from the penalty of sin. Jesus' perfect life and death as a man, as our substitute and representative before God, breaks the neck of sin's dominion over us. But his resurrection makes that work effective and powerful. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we who trust in his substitutionary life and death are no longer under the power of sin. And we are raised to walk in a brand new way. We're no longer under sin's power and dominion because Jesus has been raised. We can finally say no to sin and yes to Jesus and Jesus' ways. And listen, if Jesus can conquer sin and death, then there is no dark thing in your heart that he is not able to defeat. Sin has no power over us. Sin has no power over Jesus. And therefore, sin has no power over us. And if he stayed dead, since penalty and eternal death would be effective and powerful because it would have kept Jesus, our Savior, dead. But friends, what have we seen? The resurrection really happened. Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, he not only broke the back of sin through his crucifixion, he satisfied God's demand for death. And because Jesus has been raised, we are no longer under sin's penalty because God's wrath has been satisfied and God's wrath has been defeated. Jesus, as our forerunner, is the victorious conqueror over the grave. Because he was raised from the dead to eternal life, we who believe in him will also be raised to eternal life. There is no eternal death or wrath of God for us who trust in Jesus. Our Savior is alive, and because he is alive, we will live eternally with him as well. And if that is not great news, I am not quite sure what is. And the last thing I will say is this. In the, the truth of the resurrection, the truth of what Jesus has done, Christian, transforms the way we live. The gospel changes everything. An example of this transformation is seen in our text in the life of Joseph of Arimathea. The man was conflicted because he had one foot in the Sanhedrin council demanding Jesus to be put to death and he had another foot in being a secret follower of Jesus. And he's not really all that much different than some of us. We've got one foot in, in living for the pleasures of this life, in, in one foot in, in living a Christ-following life. But look at what happens to this man because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Verse, verse 43 says that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate. Now, why would Joseph need to take courage? 
Because Joseph knew that the moment he went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, he would be declaring what team he was on. He was aligning himself with Jesus. And when he aligned himself with Jesus, all of his influence, all of his friendships, all of his business partners, all of his reputation would be at best challenged and at worst lost. Yet, because Jesus died, Joseph goes from being this conflicted person about who he is to taking courage to go to Pilate and risking all that he was and all that he had. Historical tradition tell, tells us that this man was very possibly imprisoned by the Jewish leaders and possibly that he became a remarkable influence in bringing the gospel to Britain. All because this guy was transformed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Sin had no power over him anymore. So Joseph goes from being the secret saint to a courageous disciple and missionary. And that is quite a transformation. And this provides hope for us. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, God transforms us by the power of Christ at work in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And God transforms us from being conflicted to having courage. And the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is God's son and proves that Jesus' life and death satisfies God's demand on us. So we can live free from the fear of wrath or eternal torment. And we are free to live courageously in this world. We can go from being secret saints to courageous disciples. We can courageously and radically reorient our lives around the person of Jesus. Because guess what? The tomb is empty. Because Jesus has lived and died and was raised in our place. We are free from the power and the penalty of sin. And we can live in a brand new way by resurrection power. And we have incredible hope in this life and the next because our Redeemer lives. Jesus is alive. Death could not hold Him. And friends, let me close with this. Christian and non-Christian, if you are going through a season of life where you feel dead. If you are going through circumstances and life has you defeated and tired and beat up, if you feel helpless and hopeless, if you need resurrection, let me remind you that God is in the business of resurrection. And his name is Jesus. And there is life. And there is rest. And there is hope. And there is healing. And there is wholeness in him. So this morning, don't crawl or walk to Jesus. If you need resurrection, run to Jesus. He is alive. Death could not hold him.
and friends, if I can say this one thing for the rest of my life, it would be that Christ is better. Christ is better. Let's pray. Lord, there is none like you. Jesus, you, you lived a perfect life. You died the death that I deserved. You took on our punishment in our place. You were buried. And you then conquered death, sin, and the grave by raising from the dead. You are truly the Son of God. And by what you've done, by what we remember today, you have set us free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. And one day we will be set free from the presence of sin. All because of your work. Thank you, Jesus. These are the greatest news in the world. And today we celebrate. We have great reason to clap and shout and sing. Because you've conquered our greatest enemy. Sin and death. Father, I pray for those who may not know you as Savior. Lord, would you show them Jesus to be incredibly beautiful and irresistible? There is life in him. There is hope in him. Would you draw people to yourself and may they turn and repent from sin and put their trust and faith in Jesus to save them. May, they, may you set people free this morning. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, help us to, to be like Joseph of Arimathea. Help us to be transformed by, because of the gospel and to courageously and radically reorient our lives around the person of Christ. For those of us who need resurrection this morning, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting situations, in our, in our friendships, in our, in our uh, you know, whatever is going on, if, if there is hopelessness and tiredness and death and I'm feeling beat up and crushed, Lord, there is resurrection and life in you May you meet your people with life this morning, God. And may you cause many to have a resurrection story today, Lord. And more than anything, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted and glorified today. Because you live. We live for you, God. So do now as we transition to worship with a song, would you do your work? Minister to your people. Convict your people. Equip your people. Do the work that only you can do, God, as we sing and respond and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.